Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where we have one singular goal, and that is to inspire you to get outside, do whatever it is you like to do outdoors. Uh, on this week's podcast, I'm Chase. I'm not joined by Walt this week. Uh, he had uh, family obligations, so I took over. Uh, I get to speak with Mr. Uh, Ricky Bullard, uh, straight up deer slayer. Uh, we had him on the podcast. Uh, earlier this year, there was a lot of people that really liked uh, that podcast, so we decided to get him back on. We discuss a variety of things. We talk about his approach right now uh, with the season lurking, uh, what he does in-season scouting, trail cameras, uh, and a variety of other topics. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Uh, before we get to that podcast, a couple little things. Uh, we got to thank the patrons of the show. You guys help make this podcast possible. Uh, I know we've had a bunch of new patrons. Uh, when Walter is back on next week, uh, we'll do some of those Patreon shoutouts. So thanks again for everything you guys do. Uh, we also got to thank uh, Spartan Forge. We're doing a podcast next week. Should be dropping next week with Spartan Forge. Uh, Bill's going to come on and uh, probably drop some bombs uh, on that podcast. I think everybody's really going to be excited about that. Uh, I hope everybody is getting everything dialed in. I know there's already bucks falling in South Florida right now. Our season up here in Central Florida is lurking a little over a month away from that. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So I hope everybody's getting out shooting their bows, making sure those are dialed in, getting all their equipment ready because hunting season will be here before you know it. So with all that said, let's get to the podcast with Ricky. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. Today's guest has been one that is a fan favorite. 
Uh, he came on earlier this year, I believe, and talked about something that's not talked about a lot, which is buck bedding uh, hunting in uh, Florida. Uh, I have Mr. Ricky Bullard on the line with me. How are you doing, buddy? Good, Chase. Doing good. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. I understand you're you're coming off of a lot of work hours. Yeah, unfortunately, it was uh, complimentary, also known as mandatory. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Gotcha. Well, we have uh, added uh, kind of a new demographic of listeners uh, to the podcast. It seems like here recently, uh, a lot of Florida guys getting on. We've had also added a lot of uh, Florida patrons, and there were several of them that kind of mentioned your specific podcast uh, that they uh, really enjoyed. So I figured, hey, why not take this chance, uh, get you back on the podcast, uh, maybe get you to talk about some of your what you're doing now uh right before the season kind of your uh in-season approach trail cameras uh things like that but before we dive into that um i know some people have already listened to your other episode but we we have new listeners that may not know uh, uh who you are so why don't you just give us a quick snapshot of uh who ricky bullard is and uh your hunting okay yeah um so 32 years old turned 33 this year but uh I'm a North Florida native, so I've been hunting North Florida, South Georgia my whole life. Well, since I was about 16, um, kind of self-taught and had a few people in my family that I knew that hunted, but uh, mostly private land guys. So I just picked up, you know, whatever knowledge I could glean from TV shows and people I know here and there that hunted, but uh, really started getting into the public land thing and learning the hard way I hunted private land all throughout the years up until the last probably four or five I started transitioning pretty much all public but yeah just learned everything the hard way so <laughs> I've tried just about everything there is and uh, finally in the last few years I'm starting to kind of grow into the, the style that I like and yeah that's about it I've got uh have five kids and I live I've actually moved I don't live up against the state line anymore a little little further south um just southwest of jacksonville but busy work kids and i try to get out in the woods in between as much as i can right well you mentioned while we were on the phone prior to uh, starting the podcast you mentioned you were starting to learn some new wmas uh kind of in your area why don't you kind of talk about like your approach to when you're gonna when you find a new wma you're gonna hunt what what kind of approach do you have for that wma and and then how do you go about it like say now say like right now if you you found a new wma you wanted to hunt what would you do okay i use onyx like pretty much everybody nowadays so i'll get on there and i'll you know i'll note the property boundaries and all that and um I'll do the map scout as much as I can ahead of time. Um, just kind of identify like what's going to be the positive and negative areas, like where I think deer are, are not going to be and where they are going to be, what's worth hunting. And I just kind of locate what I think are the good areas for that spot, regardless of where I think people are going to be. I'll locate all the really good looking areas and then I'll locate, I'll try to locate the hard to get to areas. Um, and I know more, more, more and more people are, you know, getting way back away from the parking areas and off the road. So it's making things more difficult. But you know, that still cuts out a lot of the competition. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's it's tough here in Florida. Water, heat, mosquitoes. It it keeps a lot of people from getting too far from the truck, 
regardless of what they say. So, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. And then I'll go to the place and it, it, I'll drive around as much as I can try to, you know, like, okay, these are the roads that are closed to driving down. I try to mark all those the best I can on Onyx. So when I'm looking at it later, I can be like, okay, this spot looks good. Okay. Oh yeah. It's also a mile and a half walk from the nearest parking. So that makes it even more appealing to me. And, uh, yeah, and then when I get there, once I drive around and see everything I can see from the truck, I'll uh, go <clears throat> to the good areas and see if they're as good as I think they are. And, you know, I try to find some food sources, stuff like that. Um, just kind of general things I'm sure everybody looks for. But also looking for people pressure. Is is everybody else accessing these easy, uh, good-looking spots? And, uh, if so then I move on to the harder to get to areas. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my general starting point. And then once I get in there, I kind of see the terrain. Do I think, you know, they're betting, uh, kind of pick out, are they betting they got big patches of gallberries or palmettos or kind of what the deal is for that specific property and then kind of build on it from there. Um, and it's, you know, some places you can get a good feel for in a year and some places it takes, you know, three, four, five, six or plus years or a lifetime. And, you know, you, there's, a, there's always something to learn uh, unless it's a really small piece of property. But Right. Well, how many, how many hours do you think you spend like scouting a, a piece of public before you actually hunt it? Um, a lot. So that's one thing people used to, <laughs> some of my friends used to make fun of me for, cause I'd, I would scout quota WMAs before I even got drawn for it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, just, I just, I can't, I'm a, I'm better at in-season scouting now, and I kind of, I've been much more successful at that, but uh, in the early days, you know, you just, that's the only way to learn. You gotta, you gotta get out there and, and you know, cliche, boots on the ground, but it, it is what it is. You, you gotta walk. That's how you learn. Identify food sources, what oaks are dropping, what times of the year. Are there any oaks that even have acorns there, or is it an off year? Um uh, stuff like that, but I'd say I'm probably making between postseason scouting and this isn't even counting map scouting. I I don't even know how to track how many hours I've done that. Just sitting at work, you know, have a free moment, get on look at on X, <laughs> right? And try to drop some waypoints, but I don't know. I'll probably make ten full or half day trips at least a year to some of these spots. That's not including during the season that's just like postseason and during the summer um i kind of quit bass fishing and anything else that takes time away from my family that way i can scout as much as i can for deer and uh and then also deer and turkey on as much as possible when it's open for, for hunting so right now when you're turkey hunting in these areas do you use that time to scout for deer as well oh yeah for sure i'm a, i'm a pretty fanatical turkey hunter but uh so that's the primary focus but i mean you better believe it i got my phone in my hand and onyx stays open as much as i can so i'm marking stuff um i've actually learned a lot this past season about wma me and you were talking about before we started um there's no turkey could have any turkeys there but (laughs) right (laughs) found a lot of deer sign when i was trying to turkey hunt (laughs) it just kind of turned into a scouting mission but um but yeah it's it gives you, kind of gives you the, the full picture, especially the, that postseason scouting, because you're seeing, you know, okay, this scrape looks awesome. Is there a climber mark? 
is there climber marks on a tree nearby or is, is did nobody else find this um or you know uh, oak hammock um you know tore up with sign and, and rubs where they've been feeding during the season did anybody else hunt it or did they leave it alone and and uh that's another thing i should mention i i kind of started the food and then i try to figure out okay this is where the deer are feeding what do i think they're bedding and then that's where my focus moves to from the food is you know my primary goal is to get as close as i can to that bedding and sometimes it's it's in close proximity to the food and sometimes it's you know they might not even be feeding on the public you're just trying to identify what they're eating when they cross onto the private but turkey turkey season is is great for that right well what is what does your onyx look like like what what things are you marking uh, on your onyx while you're out scouting like i mentioned before walk through right off the bat and i'll mark all the gates and the the non-drivable roads um so later on can you know take note of that but i mean i'm marking if i find a scrape i'm mar- I mark every scrape i find even if it's somewhere i'm not going to hunt because later i can look at the big picture and be like okay this is a very obvious scrape line coming down this transition and it seems like when you're doing it and you're there you're like okay this is pretty obvious but later you forget about everything you're, you're seeing um so even if it takes me a few extra minutes to find a scrape if i find a rub line or a cluster of rubs that looks like it was a, a bed that a buck used during the season. Even if it's just a rub bed, if there's historical rubs there, you know, that's something to take note of because I've recently started trying to do like long soaks on camera. So that's, that's a perfect spot for throwing up a camera and you might not have pictures for three months. And then when the rut starts, you might have a buck, a buck or a different buck in there every day using that, that bed area. You know, while there's a hot dough in there, and then and then they're gone. But then the next year, you can be like, okay, this five, ten day window, you know, there's bucks using this area, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, just take take your time while you're there. If it looks like somewhere that you can capitalize, you can actually hunt, um, whether it be scrapes or food or a bedding area, whatever. I take the time to actually type something up, maybe take a picture, like, okay, this is what's going on here there's a scrape uh, up against this creek and these are the winds i can hunt it on and i need my climber or i need this is only a saddle spot or only a lock-on spot and stuff like that because you will not remember <laughs> right if you if you're doing full day scouts and a lot of them you're, you're gonna forget about stuff even if it looks killer so right now with wind direction you kind of mentioned wind direction and putting that in there now because you're a lot of your stuff you're trying to get close to bedding and things like that so it would be more beneficial for sure uh to know what the uh wind direction is i know there's sometimes there's obviously there's certain places where the wind kind of has to be perfect where you're mm-hmm. going to hunt an area but it seems like in florida you could be getting winds from every direction uh on a oh, hunt yeah. so are there just times where you just go, I'm going to hunt this area no matter what the wind direction is, just because if I don't, I'm not going to hunt this area at all this season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all relative to your situation. You know, if you have a ton of time, yeah, you know, wait, try to wait for the, the appropriate wind and uh, and all that, but just being real, sometimes it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, the wind, wind swirls and 
you know, you might be sitting next to a creek and it's there's no wind and your thermals are pulling down to that. And sometimes you just got to get in there and hunt. But if it's somewhere or like, okay, I, I know for a fact there's bucks using this area or a buck or, or deer, whatever, using this bedding area and I need this certain wind, I will try to make sure that it's a fairly windy day. The wind is, you know, is right for that spot. But if it switches while I'm there or something happens and, and, and I've only got a certain amount of time to hunt, I'm going to get in there and do it. Um, I've, I've, I've killed a lot of deer doing that and the wind switching and be like, Oh, I should probably get down and move, but <laughs> you know, I've only got three days on this quota or whatever the situation is. And, uh, by the time you get down and move and, you know, you either try to find a spot in the blind or go somewhere a mile away, you just, I'm taking my chances and a lot of times it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have the right wind and they come in from a direction you're not suspecting and, uh, they bust you. So, Oh yeah. That yeah, seems to be uh, one of the things that, uh, I've dealt with in the past thinking I've, I had the perfect wind <laughs> and then here yeah. comes the deer, <laughs> uh, coming from a dir- direction that I completely kind of eliminated thinking the deer would come from and mm-hmm. here they come and wham, you're, your wind they get it to about that uh 20 yard mark where you're thinking you're fixing to draw back and then they finally pick up your scent and uh gone forever but yeah i just i know some people completely like are really wind um guys that like they focus on the wind no matter what that's that's what they're going to do and then some that just don't even factor it in at all like they're just like the wind's going to do what it's going to do deer could come from anywhere i know this area I'm going to hunt this area and both are seem to be successful. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know that there's like a right or wrong answer, but I do think if you're keeping the wind in your favor, uh, the best you can, your odds are going to be higher. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think in flat, flat land down here, it's, it's just about impossible to hunt the wind perfectly every time. But I think it's right. something that you should absolutely be mindful of, but and do the best you can with it. But sometimes if it's the situation, right, you got to get in there and hunt. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. In some of these yeah. areas, it seems like access can be issues to where you're like, well, I, the app, my access is not going to be great uh, because of this. And there's really no other way to access the piece, whatever, maybe it butts up to some private or, or whatever. Um, and I'm just kind of like, oh, well, I, uh, if I'm going to hunt here, I've got to hunt here at some point. Um, I can't wait. Uh, the whole season to wait for a perfect wind because like you mentioned sometimes there's areas where there could be a five-day window of when it's going to be really good and mm-hmm. you, you got it if you don't get in there then you're like well that, that spot's kind of done for the season uh, if i don't get yeah. in there but that's one of the good thing kind of the one of the good things about being mobile and saddled like you don't have to have a certain tree <laughs> uh, that you're going to hunt you can always kind of adjust uh, your setup right. when you're going in, taking your sticks and your sat, like I do on, on all my public land hunts, is pretty much just running, running gun, I guess. Basically, um, I'm bringing all oh, my yeah. stuff in and setting up that day. So I try to find like when I'm, I try to find like multiple trees or something in an area when I go in scouting to be like, all right, this tree would be good for like this particular wind, or if I don't really have that wind, then I can hunt like 50 yards this way. And that's Mm -hmm. me just assuming that the deer are going to do what they've been doing. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the non-glamorous part about trying to bed hunt that 
a lot of people don't mention is you might find the, the bed and know exactly what, you know, you understand the situation perfectly, but there's a reason the deer are bedding there. <laughs> they, right. they feel safe, whether they can hear you coming through water or, or noisy, noisy palmettos or whatever the situation is, you know, they're not bedding there by accident. And uh, sometimes it's just, you either got to go in in the middle of the night and hope for the best that you can get up in there and before they do, or right. you just gotta, you just gotta gamble and, and try to get in there. Um, but there's a lot of times where you get in there and you bust them and I was like, well, that that's it. Or you go in there and, and they don't bed there that day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Florida deer for you. <laughs> yeah. You can bed anywhere. And I, and I, I've tried, uh, the, the bed hunting thing. And it's not that I'm going to give up on it or anything. It's just like a lot of the beds and stuff that I f- find is I'm like, how do I get in here? Like, there's just right. no way to get that close, um, without making noise, stepping on something, uh, or, and I'm really, a lot of the times it's just like, okay, well it's, it's going to take, and some of the guys that have mentioned bed hunting and stuff on the podcast before is like, they're going in like two or three hours before they need to be there. And it, and talking yeah. about taking like going a hundred yards and like an hour or something <laughs> to, to yeah. try to get these areas. And I just don't know if I'm that patient <laughs> to be able to get, yeah, now that's... if I knew there was a big, whatever, 130 inch Florida buck, uh, bedded there and there were good odds, then maybe, maybe I would take that chance of, uh, trying that, but uh, I just yeah. haven't. It's just, I've always thought it was like, oh, this is just a lot more difficult than, uh, most other styles. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's exactly that it's, it's a style and it's not just like anything else in deer hunting. There's nothing hard and fast about it. it everything's relative, but if it's not the most productive thing for the place I'm hunting, I'm, you know, I'm not going to worry about hunting beds. It's just, I, I like it. Right. Uh, if you can identify them and, and I, I really like windy days for trying to get close to a bed. Uh, not last, not last year, but two years ago, I killed two bucks like that. Um, it was just, I couldn't believe it. It worked out perfect, but it's because it was like 20 plus mile an hour winds and I could get close. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it just, if it's not going to be the most productive tactic, then, do something else, you know, find a hot feed tree or, or whatever you got to do. It's just another tool. Right. Now, do you think your postseason preseason scouting helps you more or you're, you kind of mentioned that you're getting better at in season scouting. So, uh, must, you must think or have in the past thinking that your, your preseason postseason scouting is like helping you out more than maybe your in season scouting. It, it's because of, you know, kind of growing as a hunter, I guess, um, the, I, in the past, I just, I didn't have any confidence if I didn't get in there beforehand. And, um, you know, in the early days, postseason scouting wasn't even on my radar. You know what I mean? Right. I was, I was the young guy. It's like, okay, deer season's over on to the next thing. But, but it, it, postseason scouting is, is huge. I really enjoy that. And it's provides me a lot of information in the last five years since I really started hammering it. But um, I, I do like the pre and post season scouting. I get a lot of information from it and it helps build confidence. But as you kind of, kind of learn either areas or just general deer behavior and sign to look for it, the right types of sign, right locations for it, 
um, you're going to be better at at in-season scouting and and trusting yourself. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in the past I've tried to in-season scout, like you do a hanging hunt, and uh, I just never, like, never come across something that I'm like, man, this is just, this is where I need to hunt. I just don't have any confidence in identifying the sign. But the past two or three years, I'm getting better at it. And last year, that's, I mean, that's primarily what I did. Um, and it, it worked out. I killed two bucks like that. Uh, one, one Florida buck, one Georgia buck. But both of them were spots that I found that day or, or that week. And uh, I was able to capitalize on it. But Okay, so what did you find when you got there? Like what made you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to hunt here? Uh, well, the Florida buck, that was a, that was a quota hunt and I had good bucks on camera. I actually got drawn for that place twice last year and, um, oh, wow. twice. Yeah. I got twice. I had, I had some preference points, <laughs> Okay, but, um, but yeah, this is the place I knew in a, you know, in the, I've hunted in the past and, uh, the whole thing changed because the place got flooded. So the place where I knew deer were coming during archery, they weren't, they weren't doing the same thing. So. I'm like, man, I just got to get back in here. The deer have not left because there's some pretty prominent food sources nearby on private. So I, uh, I was like, I, I got to find where they're bedding. Um, there, I was just, I was hoping there was some dry ground back in the swamp. So I just kept walking and kept walking and kept walking. And then I eventually started jumping deer. And the first deer I jumped was a, a nice buck. Um, so I went up there and checked it out. And sure enough, it's a high spot. It was like there's two rubs on it. I could see the perfect little bean shape where he was laying in the leaves and, uh, you know, it was wet because he'd, you know, I guess get off and drink water throughout the day. But I went back the very next morning, got in there at like four o'clock in the morning, a couple hours before daylight and caught him coming back to his bed. It wasn't the buck I saw the day before. It was a smaller buck, but there's only so many places to bed in that situation because of the water. So they were kind of just coming back to those little islands. And when I say islands, I'm talking like the biggest one might've been 10 by 20. They're all pretty small and they were betting on them. So that was a kind of a unique situation, but I would have never known about it unless I just took off with my climber on my back and found, I was actually, I had my climber the day before and I was going to set it there, but I didn't want the deer to see it coming in. So I went back in with the saddle the next morning, but yeah, that ended up working out for me and I ended up being a, a barely legal buck not the big buck from the day before but right i killed bucks so <laughs> yeah yeah exactly in florida you can't be too picky <laughs> no. especially on public yeah, three, land three days to get it done so yeah especially uh public land a quota hunt or it's a, a three-day hunt you're not going to be nowhere near as picky as a place yeah. that you might be hunting the whole the, season the georgia hunt that was a little bit different it's it you know south georgia so it's not that much different than North Florida, but there was a a certain feature that the deer were kind of going around. It was just it, basically an opening, and uh, they didn't want to cross. They didn't want to walk through it, so they were walking around it. And I found it. I went and scouted it because I found it map scouting, and I got to the right where I was hoping they would be walking around it. And there was a trail intersection with some scrapes there, um, like fresh. And uh, so I set up there and hunted it. And the first day I hunted it. Uh, I had some small bucks chasing does, so uh, I just sat. I just stayed there the whole day, and ended up shooting a ten point that afternoon. And I shot him standing at the scrape. 
but unfortunately it was a quartering two shot and buried in his shoulder never found him but i saw more bucks after i shot him <laughs> right and then went back two days later even though i didn't want to because we trailed that deer you know looking for him all night that night after i shot him came back two days later killed a nice eight point still chasing those that group of does around so uh that's another thing it, it may not be something that you can see while you're there i, I saw the scrape but i had no idea there's a hot doe in the area but right. once i knew that's what the deal was you you you, you got to stay in that area until it changes i think yeah um, yeah for sure for sure now do you find any different is there because you're hunting florida and georgia i'm assuming they're not super far apart but they might be uh is there a difference between florida and georgia hunting that you found uh as far as rut or general uh, deer like deer stuff? deer numbers rut in any anything uh well yeah i mean there seems to be a, a little bit higher deer population in most of the places in georgia but as far as the uh kind of when they rut and uh stuff like that it's pretty close to north florida where i'm at okay um, it's a kind of a late september early october deal and then um and in some places there i mean and then you'll have you know 28 to 30 days later it happens again so right and that and it actually the spot i killed that buck at in georgia the third rut i had some buddies that were hunting a, a quota and they ended up killing bucks they were chasing does and it was exactly you know it was like the third rut you know what i mean those yearling font those yearling does were coming in to eat and uh once you figure that out it's it's i mean it's deer biology it's not it's not a if it's, it's going to happen if they don't get bred they're going to come back in so right um, that's something to keep in mind when you're planning it out. You know, you see does, or you see does being chased. You can kind of, kind of bet on that happening again, 28, 30 days later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, is was there any like terrain differences or anything like that that you've noticed? Uh, it's pretty much all you know, pine plantation type deals. Uh, whether it's it is timber company property that the state's letting you know Rainier or whoever manage or. Uh, or the state purchased it. It's it's all pretty much timberland with some scattered. Um, some of the places are close to the coast, so you got salt marsh that comes in there, um, which that's you know they'll they'll bed out on the edge of that, um, so that changes things a little bit. But uh, for the most part, it's it's pretty much all flooded creek bottoms with the majority of it being pines, pines and culverts, a few palmetto flats here and there. Okay, nice. So with your in-season scouting, if you're, you're looking basically for hot sign, maybe with, and maybe relation to feed trees, rut activity, all of that stuff kind of mixed together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when I'm looking or what I'm going to find the sign, it's, it's, it's relative to where it's at. Um, you know, you might find killer scrapes and rubs, but if it's, somewhere that people are always walking through or uh, it's easy access or, or wide open, no cover, you know, you, you can get lucky and kill deer there, but chances are that's all nighttime sign. And uh, I think a lot of people are getting better at, uh, you know, realizing that. But if I'm finding something like that, 
uh, as far as rubs or a hot bee tree. There was one spot last year I, I wasn't able to go hunt it. I hung a camera there, and it was exactly what I thought was happening, what's happening. But it was South Georgia, and it was just um, just, just palmetto glade. I, I don't know how to describe it, but super, super thick palmettos. And they had these little trails going through it. Well, there were some oaks, and those oaks were dropping. And I was walking down these trails, and you couldn't, you know, I would have had to be right on top of them to kill these deer, but they were just loaded with deer droppings. Um, and that's something that I'm looking for probably more than anything. Like if, they, if there's a lot of, of deer droppings there, um, they're spending some time there. So that gets me fired up probably more than seeing a scrape, honestly, right. honestly cause I mean, there, that is the destination. If you're seeing, you know, multitude of droppings or, or at least a, a you know, pretty hot secondary source on the way to the primary yeah in some places like you know there's there's not a lot of ag around here um so there may not be any primary food source <laughs> they deer browsers so they just may have a browse loop every night or they head to a clear cut but a lot of these deer there's just not a really heavy primary food source um especially if the acorns aren't dropping yet or they've already dropped and they're done you know yeah, yeah, but. for sure. That I seem to find that a lot down here, uh, especially you got years where there's acorns are scattered. They're not really great or anything, and uh, just seems like you kind of mentioned uh, before is like you've got kind of like these nomadic deer. They just kind of roam the area. Uh, there's no yeah. really rhyme or reason to like the oh they're going to be funneling through here today or or they've been funneling through here for the last week or uh, anything like that. So that's why it kind of always seems a, a little bit more difficult, uh, especially uh, in-season scouting and stuff like that, as you're like, uh, okay, cool, or they were here today, or you can find it. Because I've found trail like trails that's like, man, this is just a – this is a uh, beat-down trail. And then yeah. put a camera or something up on it, and – there might be like one deer use that trail in two weeks <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy how that you're just like, man, these, but then you keep, you walk another 50 to a hundred yards and there's another trail parallel in it that looks beat down too. And you're like, okay, well they're I don't know why they're picking these certain trails, um, these days versus that days or what I could never really correlate it to anything. Um, other than maybe they just decided to bed closer to that trail today or something. Uh, and that's why they used it. Yeah, and you see that a lot, like creek crossings, the mud holds tracks well. So <laughs> you might have a doe and a yearling coming through there every day. Right. And you see it, you know, there's been five days of no rain. You're like, holy crap, this thing is beat down. <laughs> and uh, it's just one group of does using it. Right. Uh, that fooled me a lot. Like, I started hunting Kentucky this past year, and that is very deceiving up there. You have a group of five does that comes through every day, and that's it. But it looks like every deer in the world is using it. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, I've seen that. Or like tracks on a road or something, same thing, where yeah. they're or crossing or something, and you're just like, oh, man, there's a ton of deer crossing right here. And it's like I said, it's the same group of five or six does <laughs> that are crossing yeah. it like twice a day, uh, back and forth, and uh, plenty of tracks. So, yeah, I've always uh, found that to be like a one of those tricky things, especially down here. Yeah. Another thing I kind of – look for um you hear anybody listen to the podcast they know like people talk about saddles and hill country uh -huh. they obviously don't 
we obviously don't have that. Right. But to me, to me, if you can find some some kind of pinch point, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But um, like in these places where there's a lot of palmettos, for instance, sometimes you'll have a break in them, and it's just a deer's not. If he if he can walk through that, they're gonna they're gonna do it. it you know, rather than walking through the other stuff and making tons of noise. Um, actually find a spot like that last year. I'm pretty pumped about hunting uh hung a camera on it a hundred at once you know right uh, prob- probably the wrong wind i didn't see anything but i hung a camera there and went back and got it two months later after the season and it was almost almost every single day i had bucks coming through in the daylight and then you could see certain periods the doe would come through and there was one day i had six different bucks come through that little pinch um mm-hmm. b- because there was a doe in the area but uh the stuff like that if you you know, we may not have saddles to focus on, but if you can find something like that, to me, that's our version of a saddle down here. Um, right. Or and that, that that gets me. Yeah, yeah, funnel, natural funnel, whether it's palmettos or, you know, steep creek bank or we don't have a lot of that, but some places they'll have these big cut banks in the river. Um, but that gets me excited too. Yeah, yeah, I always find like even like when I'm like e-scouting or something, I'm always kind of like looking for – different features that kind of come together where you got a swamp next to planted pine, some planted pines, maybe some hardwoods mixed in. And I'll mark those places uh, on the Onyx or whatever uh, mapping feature I'm using and go in there. And then a lot of times that's where you'll find rubs, scrapes, uh, things like that. And where like all those kind of pinch down together, I'll notice there's a lot of uh, deer activity as well. Yeah. Kind of our version of a, what they talk about, a thermal hub, spokes on the wheel. Right. We might not have that necessarily, but you got different train types coming together, and that's about as good as you can get. So. Yeah, yeah, just maybe more diversity in that in that particular area where they all kind of come together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, I know deer, like I said, they're, they like diversity, um, and especially with their food habits and everything else. They're just not focusing on one food source at one time. Um, they're they're still going to browse they're still going to get the green stuff and all that other stuff while they're uh, eating acorns and stuff like that especially down Mm -hmm. here i mean it it's always green so there's always something for them to it seems like to pick at Uh, yeah plenty of green briar and everything else around that they uh they like to hit yeah and uh transitions are like you said different you know types of terrain coming together transitions are a great place to start when I was talking yep. about earlier, first started, first come to a new WMA, that's one of the things I'm doing, uh, looking for those good areas that I suspect that will be good. I'm just walking, I'll walk the whole transition. Uh, right. Whether it be pines to swamp or, you know, fire break around or whatever. If you walk that fire break around, you're going to see, you know, if you're using the block, they're not just going to stay in that block or stay in that creek bottom or whatever it is, uh, Cypress Pond. They're going to be coming in and out. So you can see those not only see the main trails coming in and out, but see how many deer are using it, especially after rain. Um, but yeah, transitions are a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And I like those, I oh, found kind of found one the other day, but it, it, I mean, it's this area where you've got planted pines. I mean, they're probably 10 years old or something super thick inside them. You can tell that's like a, those are bedding areas for sure. Uh, but yeah. you, you have like this strip that kind of goes in between 
the two sections that's kind of open. It's swamp, some hardwoods, stuff like that. And you just know at some point during the rut that bucks are going to be using that to, to go in between those bedding areas um, back and forth uh, checking for does. Oh, yeah. And like right now, preseason, postseason, you can still see the scrapes. But right now, you're probably not going to be able to see the scrape on the ground. Right. But, you you know, yeah, I've started looking the last few years. You can you can see the licking branches, especially like historical ones. And I uh, actually found one the other day that I didn't notice before. I wanted to hang a camera there because it was a creek crossing and also a transition edge. There's like a trail intersection. Well, I went to hang the camera and I was like, oh, there's a mangled up licking branch here um you know an old scrape i didn't even notice it before because it wasn't in season when i found it right uh, it's not in season now either but i noticed the branch and hung my camera on it sure enough uh no bucks yet but every doe that's come through there it's a cell cam so every doe that's come through there they stop at that branch and just kind of check it out but okay. i know for a fact whenever they start running that's a you know it's going to be a pretty heavy buck activity corridor right oh yeah well uh, you mentioned we've you mentioned cameras several times uh so why don't we talk about trail cameras and public land and uh setting those up because i know a lot of guys kind of struggle uh to be like where should i hang my camera like what 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 should i focus on uh, to hang my camera or and like we've mentioned before is like some areas are just hot for a small amount of time and you're yeah. maybe you're putting that camera up to just catch that activity and you're not really worried about, Oh, I'm not getting deer through here uh, every day or once a week or anything like that. So what's your uh, trail cam strategy? Okay. Uh, well, I get kind of two different strategies that I like to use, but um, the one I did most of the year last year um, was, like I said, I picked a certain WMA, a couple of them that I want to focus on, but one really, I put all my cameras in there. Um, and I just did a long soak. I hunted it a couple of times, but I really, I put five cameras out and I left them and I put them in those kind of funnel type spots or what I suspected to be funnel type spots out of the five, two or bus. I was wrong. <laughs> and the, right. other three, the other three, um, they were killer and I wish I would hunted them, but I didn't. But now I know, okay, these three or four days I had four different bucks come through. And then hardly anything but does and, and and smaller bucks. And then uh, 30 days later, whatever, I had another flurry of buck activity. Um, and it's, things like that may vary a little bit to the next from year to year, but it's going to be pretty close, uh, I think. Um, yep. I like that. I like the long soak deal. Uh, even if you hunt it, just leave it. You know, pull, pull the cards, swap them out, and leave it there. Um, but uh, and then the other one. I had some success with a couple of years ago. I didn't hunt private last year, but two years, two years ago, I was in a, a lease and I wanted to try to backtrack bucks, try to find where they were bedding at. And it worked out for me, but I was just basically moving those cameras. I had a pile of cheap Tascos and I was kind of leapfrogging them. And I was able to identify at least close enough to where they were this couple bucks were bedding. And, uh, that can work. Um, but it's it can be frustrating because right. if you if you're really trying to do that leapfrogging them, uh, it's time consuming and you get your scent in there and uh, it worked out for me. But you know, depending on how your deer act, it, it may 
it may not be beneficial, but it may be counterproductive. Um, because a lot of times you get one picture of them and they smell where you've been and, you know, that's it. But that's okay if you're leapfrogging them because you're about to move it anyways. But Right. But uh, I'll hang them. I'm looking for, like I said, the old licking branches. The only thing about doing that now is you got to kind of resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to get, you're not going to get buck pictures right now. Most likely you're going to get, you're setting it, you're setting the trap for later. You're what you're leaving it and come back and check it and find out when those bucks are using those scrapes and, and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, persimmon trees, if you can find a persimmon tree or uh, a white Oak or a water Oak hammock or something like that, that you, you know, you can go in there now and look with binoculars and see that it's loaded down. Um, hang a camera in there and uh, just kind of set that trap for later for when it starts dropping. You go in there and hunt it. And like, okay, there's there's deer coming through or there's not or there's a buck I want to go after or there's not. Um, I love hanging cameras on percentage trees. <laughs> <It's>, uh, right. <laughs> if you can find them. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of my two main strategies and i like the long soak so much i've you know i've I got i don't know eight or nine yeah i think nine out now and one cell cam and i plan to get a couple more cell cameras um for the season to use in season just to see if they actually help or not or if they make me less productive because i'm too worried about what's going on with them <laughs> right yeah but yeah i plan to use the information i learned last year from those long soaks and put the cameras out in different uh, pinches and different licking branches and and transitions and stuff like that. That way I can get information for more areas, kind of building on knowledge from last year and also adding to it. Yeah. Yeah, I love uh, the historical data because, like you said, you can have – if you leave it there for the season and you, you had bucks showing up, like you mentioned earlier, like, oh, this funnel or whatever was good for, like, three days – three or four days uh, this time and then three or four days the next time then theoretically you're, you can go back in there and there's a good chance that this is going to be the same the next year uh, mm-hmm. i've noticed that with some bucks is that historically they'll are at least and maybe not even rut it's like they're they're not there they're not there like you mentioned this time of year no bucks no bucks no bucks and then bam all of a sudden they show up like whatever october yeah. 15th and they'll be around for a while um, and they kind of run, it seems like some of them, like we they'll be there for a day or something. Like you might catch them a day and then a week or 10 days later, they might pop through and you're catching them on camera again, but there's really no like specific, okay. Yeah. They're, they're there just this time. It's just, they, they kind of show up like every maybe seven to 10 days or something. They might show up on camera. Um, and I don't know if that's just their, they're just, that's their core area. And you just happen to catch them on camera that particular day. And not yeah. other days. Maybe they're just kind of skirting around the camera, because uh, cameras will tell a story. They don't tell the whole story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, for sure, uh, especially <laughs> on these big pieces of public, uh, where you got a camera and you're just like, oh, I hadn't had anything cross. Nothing's on camera. But then whatever. It could have been bucks using fifty yards away for a week yeah. or something, and you and you wouldn't have known it. Um, yeah, absolutely. They they can definitely hurt you if you completely depend on that information but right that's another that's another reason i like the long soak because i'm going off of what i'm seeing and and how i feel 
about what I'm seeing versus, oh man, you know, uh, this spot looks great. It should be great, but I don't have a buck on camera. Yeah. Well, you, you like you said, they could be skirting around it. <laughs> yeah, you could be skirting around it, and then you, whatever, you go scout. You could do a hundred yard loop around your camera and then go, oh man, there's a ton of rubs <laughs> right over here. Yeah. <laughs> and the camera, yeah. I just missed my spot for the camera. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. And I think that's part of the reason of, um, it gets hot certain times is because that bu- the, the more mature bucks, the ones you're after, are probably not going to use that same heavy pinch or same trail that all the rest of the deer are using. Right. Uh, until they're chasing does. Um, so the, the rest of the time, you may be able to see him from that area, but you're not getting a picture of him because he's on a very hard to identify trail just off that main one. Yeah. And some of those big bucks, they just seem to be, want to be loners anyways. So they just, mm-hmm. they, they, they know where the does are uh, when the time's right, but they, they may not even be anywhere near that area. <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, they just wait to come in whatever they're like oh, now it's time <laughs> i need to go in there yeah. and i think a lot of it is for florida and my is like the competition's just not there for as many does as there are at least in my areas yeah like that's a big absolutely buck right i mean he's not gonna have to fight deer off or anything there's so many does there's like right, yep i'm gonna go in here and get one and then i'm gonna take her off and then the, there'll be other ones in there for <laughs> everybody else but at least yeah, until, like sure. you mentioned, maybe that second or third rut where there's not as many does. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've caught more like big bucks during that time where they actually have to get out and move around a little bit and are chasing does uh, more as opposed to like earlier season when it's like, oh, I'm seeing all these small bucks chasing. Where are all the big bucks at? Well, big bucks have already got their does pinned down because <laughs> um, yeah. they know when the, when the does are, are ready. Uh, they'll let all the little ones chase them around <laughs> and then yeah, they'll get and, in there. It seems like, yeah. And that's something to keep in mind. You know, if I, I made this mistake a couple years ago, not a mistake. I'm not, I don't regret it. I had a great time, but I killed a six point chasing a doe and I'm standing over him and a bigger buck an eight point chases the same doe back by me. And I ended up, this, uh, I was lucky. I was able to, to kill both of them. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, it, there may, you know, you may have you hear people that these guys in the Midwest talk about buck trains. Uh, it's just buck after buck after buck. Right. And it's usually the one, the ones that are kind of hanging back. They know the deal and they know she's not ready to stop yet. Right. So they're kind of letting those young bucks get tired out. When the time gets right, he's going to move in and take care of business. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, uh, I've I've That's, seen that before where you've got more. You've got more than one buck or whatever. There's three or four like chasing this same doe <laughs> yeah um, but uh, so yeah. is this the f- have you used cell cams before or is this the first year using a cell cam no this, this is my first year um okay i was kind of i mean i'm excited about it i think they're going to be a good tool i think they could be deadly in certain people's hands <laughs> oh yeah uh, for sure more than others but uh i feel like it's one of those things they're probably going to get you know outlawed in a lot of states before it's over with but in the meantime, let me see if I can <laughs> right. make it make it work for me, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I don't definitely, have uh, I, I know, especially for, like, private parcels and stuff, <laughs> it can really be <laughs> <Yeah>. deadly. 
uh, yeah. for private uh, land, or especially if you're close to the private land. Because, uh, I mean, I've heard numerous cases of people like, oh, there's a buck on my cell cam. They can walk out their back door and get on the other side of where the deer was and shoot them or something 10 minutes right. later. Um, I can definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure that's probably why they're <laughs> wanting to outlaw them, is the, as, of how deadly they can be in certain places or whatnot. Right. But no. my thing is, is like I've kind of mentioned before, is that that's no different than if I'm hunting a piece of private and there's somebody that goes, hey, man, there's a huge deer over here. They call you and you go out and shoot the deer, too. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, why not? Why not capitalize? You know, if we've all got limited time. Why not try to put the odds in your favor as much as possible? Right. Well, what's your strategy with it? Are you going to just use it for just like? MRI, like most recent information, and move it around, or how are you going to use that cell cam? Yeah, uh, right now I've got it in a spot where I'm hope you know. Last year it's a late September rut, so it's kind of monitoring stuff right now. But like I said, I plan to get a couple more. So we've got one spot that's really hard to get to, um, and I don't want to. There's a lot of does there, but I don't want to go back in there to kill a doe and and drag it out, you know what I mean? Uh, yep. Pack it out or whatever. I want to go back there for a buck. So uh, that's using it for spots like that, just to kind of see when the when the bucks start showing up. Um, and then also, you know, like you said, MRI, if I find a hot feed tree or hot, a, a killer-looking scrape or or uh, just a, a creek crossing, like plan on using it when I go to Kentucky, put it out while I'm there. Okay. You know, I'm, it may not do anything for me, but uh, – if there's a, I find a killer creek crossing and I hunt it one evening, I put the camera out there. I can know like, okay, it is just five does or there's right. a 160 walking through here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, that'll definitely change how I'm doing the, uh, my strategy for the rest of the week. But yeah, yeah, it could definitely be helpful. I, I definitely see it helpful being like those five, six day hunts you go on. Like you're talking about whatever, going to Kentucky or I'm planning on going to uh, Missouri this year. Uh, during the yeah. rut and like i said you find a hot scrape or something like that and you can put it on there and a certain area and be like okay uh cool my buddy he did the same thing he went up there and it was put it on put him on some scrapes and through that intel it was like just a bunch of like two-year-olds that were hitting that scrape at the time right so it's just like okay well i'll focus on some of these other areas uh as opposed to over here I don't, I don't necessarily know there's a big buck in this area but i know there's a ton of two and a half year olds uh, in that area, uh, and yeah. keep moving it around if you need to. Um, cause it might, you might see a buck with a doe on that camera yeah. and you can go, okay, well, they're probably bedded close by get in there. And if, if you're hunting during the rut, um, early season, right. like you said, you can eliminate areas. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, you know, there's, there's acts, there's some act fields up there and, and, you know, for symmetry and stuff like that. I'm going to, a little bit different tag. We went opening week last year. We're going a little bit later because it's that velvet crowd is, is a lot of people. But I imagine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just kind of see how it differs and uh, see if I can nail down what food sources they're using while we're there because there's there's a lot more options than there are down here. Right. But, but yeah, I'm looking forward to them to see how they work for me. And as far as people, you know, questioning if they're ethical or not, you know, it's. I don't know. You just do whatever you think is right. I I don't think I don't see a problem with it as long as it's legal. Um, yep. 
I'm sure everybody's had somebody tell them there's a big buck in an area, like you said, and you go hunt it because somebody told you it's no, it's no different than that. Right. Oh yeah. And there's people that whatever think is not ethical to hunt with a rifle or a compound bow. <laughs> I mean, so there's yeah. people on all sides of the fence, uh, to me. And like, if it's legal, then by all means do it. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever you want to do. And you know, celebrate when other people are successful doing it how they want to do it so yeah and to me if it helps out the guy or girl or whatever that doesn't have a lot of time to scout or hunt but they can go put a cell cam out and it makes them more successful then i'm all about it oh yeah 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 that's why i enjoy the podcast and talking like um ate up with it just like i was when i was 16 and 17 except i didn't have anybody to talk to about it <laughs> right <laughs> even now and you know like we were talking about before i know a lot of guys that hunt but uh a lot of them are just they're not they're not into it like we are and yeah i've only got one or two friends that i can talk to about it on a on a high level and uh podcast it's like all my all my imaginary friends i get to talk to <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go Exactly. Well, and like I said, some people, they just don't have the schedules for it. I mean, you and I have good right. schedules, <laughs> so yeah, we can hunt exactly. more and avoid the crowds more and things like that. So, um, it's just everybody, everybody has their own little hunting journey and some people like to go out when it's only when it's cold outside or it's comfortable and things like that. And that's great. Um, and then you got guys that it don't matter what the temperature is or what time of year it is, they're going to be out in the woods. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's, everybody has their thing. I mean, yeah, the I mean, more hunters we have, the better, uh, cause that means absolutely. it's going to stay around, uh, as opposed to people getting out of it. Um, so I always welcome people, uh, to get into hunting, uh, no matter what their situation is or, and how they want to do it. If it's legal, then by all means do it. If you want to use a crossbow, use a crossbow. When you sell cams, you sell cams. <laughs> it don't bother me. Oh, for sure. I used to be, you know, you know crossbows are terrible you know anti-crossbow guy traditionalist all that crap and <laughs> i had, had you know got divorced a couple of years ago and had a financial situation where i had a crossbow and i didn't have a compound at the time so i hunted with a crossbow <laughs> right. and you know it, i had just as much fun i i went back to the compound because uh, i don't care what anybody says it's, it's definitely easier with a crossbow <laughs> especially right. if you know what you're doing yeah um but it is what it is you know Yep. You got limited time and you got kids and you can only hunt the weekends. I would have a, as many cell cams as I could afford to run. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the most effective method of killing the animal as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And cameras are hunting 24 seven, 365 <laughs> That's out right. there for you getting uh, Intel. And like I said, a lot of it's good for next year and that, that's, yeah. that's what's good about them or at least what I've found is like, ah, maybe I don't need to focus on like the right now. Maybe this is, this is a long-term thing. Like, okay. I know this last couple of years that this has been a hot spot, August 5th or October 5th through October 16th. So I'm going to be in there <laughs> if the conditions exactly. are right. Uh, I'm going to be in there during those times. And it helps you kind of, cause there's certain, I mean, I hunt areas that are kind of far, a little, a little bit of distance from each other and the ruts seem to be different. So you can just be like, all right, I'm focusing on this area this time. I'll leave this area alone, and then I'll focus on that area. So there's all kinds of different ways you can approach it, and I think it they can also help you with your time management and everything else. Yeah, and and don't 
you know, in my opinion, I don't like I don't like to rest on my laurels and like, OK, I found five killer spots. I'm going to keep on wearing them out. You know, I want to like, OK, these spots are good. I'm going to move the cameras because right. I know these spots are good during these times. So now I'm going to build on that knowledge. Yep. Because you, you never know what's going to happen. They're going to cut timber or some guy's going to start hunting it all the time or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yep. There's definitely areas where I'll hunt archery, but I know that, like the last week of archery, there's going to be people in there putting their stands up for muzzleloader and things like that. So, yeah, uh, I kind of move on from them areas after that. But, yeah, it's always good to have uh, as many options as possible just in case that happens. I've shown up like the day before, or I've shown up scouted areas and then show up and then they're in their cutting, like literally like a couple of days <laughs> before season or something like that. And you're like, well, mm. that area is done for. <laughs> That'll ruin your day for sure. Or at least I was like, oh, I had all these bucks on camera. <laughs> yeah. But you just got to move on and find somewhere else and use all that scouting that you did and uh, move on to somewhere right. else. Well, uh, you yep. mentioned before the podcast that you – we're one of the lucky ones this year, and you drew three different quota hunts for this year. Is that right? I did. Yes, sir. <laughs> three different ones. Are they archery, muzzleloader, and rifle, or are they all archery? Actually, what are they? Uh, well, actually, I, I got yeah, archery, muzzleloader, and a rifle one. And then I actually picked up. I don't know if I'm gonna go to it, but it was one of the uh, leftovers. I picked up a one, a rifle, another, an extra rifle one. Oh wow! Um, really late, really late season somewhere else i've never been to before so i might i might do that might not i might return it but either way i got three good ones that i wanted to get so i'm excited about that yeah yeah exactly that's uh that's good news i, I hadn't i've yet to get any quota hunts <laughs> or reissues or anything i still put in for them every week knowing i'm gonna get unsuccessful <laughs> but yeah uh still gotta still gotta put in for them are, are you doing uh, have do you have history with these quotas or i'm assuming you yeah, might have two, some history with them yeah two of them i have a lot of history with um uh i'm still gonna get some cameras out um in kind of the areas that i'm planning on focusing on but the other one is new i've, I've got some information on it from some other people and I, i've scouted it i've never i've never honored it i've scouted it five or six times though and uh you know it's, it's something i wanted to tackle there's something you know, I like hunting new places and honestly I'll probably I'll probably scout it a few more times but uh I don't I think I'm gonna hang any cameras in there. I think I'm just gonna go scout my way in and uh kinda go from there. Awesome. Well do you have any uh predictions for this year? For your I hunting? listen to y'all's predictions. I don't know if I'm gonna be <laughs> as lofty as <laughs> <laughs> those were bold predictions. <laughs> yeah. So those are ones that you're like, that's probably never going to happen, but I'm going <laughs> to throw it out there anyways. But Oh, uh, well, the first one is one that I've had pretty much every year. I want to kill a registry buck in Florida. I haven't done that yet. Uh, okay. And I have, if they're still alive, two different Florida domains. I got two different registry bucks. I had them on camera last year, and I think they're both still alive. Okay. So, uh, yeah, one of, one of them is... I think I got a killer setup, but I'm sure I'll go in there and get embarrassed. But <laughs> right. um, so that's number one. And then um, I killed. I tried to go hunt with purely just my bow last year, and I, I killed three with my bow. 
I ended up killing a, a last Florida buck with a rifle at the end there. But um, yeah, I'd like to kill a handful of deer in my bow. Uh, I'd say probably between the three states, I'd like to kill five, um, and I'd, I'd like to kill a buck in every state. Okay, so you got Florida, goal. Georgia, and Kentucky. Yep, and uh, Kentucky, the Midwest has got my number. I've been to Illinois and Kentucky a few times, and I haven't killed a buck right. up there at all yet. <laughs> I've come close several times. I drew back. I missed one off the ground last year. That was a rush. Um, oh, I'd yeah. love to kill one off the ground. But, uh, yeah, just didn't – either they were had them in range and they were just not what I wanted to shoot or that one on the ground – he came in direction I wasn't expecting, and I tried to shoot through some CRP and ended up missing him. But okay, nice. yeah, I'm really pretty much the goal. Pretty basic: kill a buck in every state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every state. No, um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. an opportunist, though. I want to kill a registry buck in Florida, but if uh, those big boys aren't showing up, then oh yeah, yeah, I'll be Florida legal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, they're they're registry for a reason. <laughs> exactly. Um, they've got that age, so generally pretty smart. And uh, the opportunity, and, and to me, there's just not that many running around out there. <laughs> um, no. So it's it's not something that you're like, oh, yeah, there's in the Midwest where there might be, you might see whatever, 10 130s in a day or something like that. <laughs> um, right. A little bit different down here. Where you're gonna see a bunch of eighty, <laughs> eighty to ninety inch bucks probably. Um, oh yeah. But the hitting that hundred mark uh, is definitely uh, it's definitely a challenge. I know I know quite a few people that are trying to hit that registry mark. <laughs> um, for sure, they wanna they wanna kill a registry buck. So and it'll happen yeah. eventually. So that's what I tell all of them. Like, eventually, it's gonna happen. It'll be when you least expect it too. <laughs> yeah. More than I mean, likely. I- I killed my oldest Florida buck two years ago. He was at least four. Uh, right. from, I had several people look at the job on, including myself, and uh, he wasn't. Even, he didn't even break a hundred. So, right. oh yeah, he was like right at ninety. I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some bigger. I've killed some bigger bodied, just real big bodied Florida bucks that they said they might go ninety inches. They just don't have the genetics yeah. to get there. Never had so. Um, and then there's some young ones. Uh, my buddy killed a real young one last year. Um, he was a 13 point. Um, but looking at his body and everything, you would have thought he was like a two and a half year old, maybe a three and a half year old at the most. Um, Wow. He was a one, I think he scored like 120. Um, but yeah, so he had, he just had the genetics. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, whoa. This deer made it another year. My goodness, <laughs> he probably would have been just been a absolute monster. But mm-hmm. you ain't passing on that in Florida, thirteen point. <laughs> yeah, um, in the state of Florida at all. But yeah, so well, those are those are those are good goals, man. Good goals. I, I think you can accomplish it. Like I said, you got to get over that uh, that Kentucky thing. I, I would like to see you kill something in Kentucky for sure. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> was, is this your third year going out there? No, it's my second. But I went oh, twice second. last year. Okay. Uh, I didn't go during the rut, but I have, I have three, basically three weeks allotted for it this year. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, if I tag out early, obviously I probably won't go back, but, uh, right. 
Yeah, I, I went twice last. I knew I was going to go at least twice last year, no matter what. Even if I killed the first trip, that way I could keep learning. But uh huh, I ended up not seeing a shooter buck until the fourth day on the second trip. Okay, uh, and then I take that back. I saw I saw a couple out of range, but I didn't have one in range till then. But right, yeah, it's uh, you get there and it's like this is going to be easy. There's deer everywhere, right. but then it's public land, so you know you still got to find that higher end buck oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah no doubt well cool well um you got any other final thoughts for anybody um we're fixing to be well in our area season's coming up in almost a month i know they've been hard at it in south florida already i've already seen quite a few bucks in uh zone a drop so far this year Uh, i know i'm jealous i'm not jealous (laughs) of the heat i went down there and tried that last year and got it you know, I got on deer, but no bucks. Uh, right. It's rough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. <laughs> like, don't you want to come yeah. hunt South Florida? I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, no, just, uh, you know, get it. If you can get out now and scout and do it, but don't fret too much. Um, you know what I mean? Because they, they're, sh- they're still going to shift yet. Um, yep. From what I've seen uh, in my past experience. So, uh, and then get your get your setup dialed in. Got my bow setup dialed in. Probably more confident with that than I've ever been. Uh, but now's the time to get all that stuff sorted out because it's. I mean, we're knocking on the door. For, yep. For us, North Florida. Okay. Yep. Yep. We are. Well, good. So, well, if you'll hang on one second, I'll uh, close the podcast out. Well, everybody, right. uh, I hope you enjoyed. This uh, second podcast with uh, Ricky has, if it's done anything, I hope it's at least inspired you uh, to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.